May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Luke's reports of the resurrection of Jesus is sort of like watching a movie or a TV show. We get these little scenes of what was happening. So before our reading today, we get scene one, which is the women at the empty tomb finding the stone rolled away. Jesus gone and they encounter two men that ask them, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? The women go and tell the disciples what they had seen and heard, and the disciples call it an idle tale. Next scene is Peter running and finding the tomb empty. And then we move to another scene, this time outside of Jerusalem, on a road where two disciples are heading home, talking about all that had happened. And suddenly they're joined by a man on the road, and when the disciples express their uncertainty about the meaning of what has happened to Jesus, this then unknown man begins to teach them the entirety of Scripture and interprets for them what has happened. But even that doesn't get the disciples to understand. It's only when we're in yet another scene, a small inside room as they sit down to a meal and the unknown man in a very familiar way takes bread and breaks it and gives thanks that the disciples are able to realize that it was the risen Jesus in their midst. But then Jesus vanishes, and Luke presses us to another scene. Think of the subtitles that would be here, you know, outside of Jerusalem. Now we're back to Jerusalem. Back in Jerusalem with the disciples, probably in that upper room that we always think about, talking and discussing not just what had happened, but what the women had seen and what Peter had seen. And what does all of this mean? And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears with the familiar greeting, Peace be with you. Now in this scene, the disciples go through a whole range of emotions. When Jesus shows up and says, peace, the gospel tells us the disciples were startled and terrified. Throughout the scene, they are disbelieving and wondering. Just as for the writer of the Gospel of John, for Luke, it is really important that we know and understand that Jesus is really real and really there in flesh and blood, that he's not some special effect or a ghost, that we're not just talking about some sort of spiritual resurrection. Jesus as proof, says to the disciples, touch me and see, and holds out his hands. And while they are still in disbelief, he asks for food. And they give him some fish, and he eats it. 
This weird little fact is because in first century Palestine, just like today, today we have ghost stories and we have this whole kind of set of rules about how ghosts act and all these sort of monsters that we've created, but there are rules to how monsters are supposed to operate. And in the first century Palestine, ghosts didn't eat food. They might be able to show up and move some stuff around, but the one thing a ghost didn't do was eat. And so when Jesus says, give me something to eat, it becomes definitive that he is really real. Amen. And it's then that he's able to unpack the scriptures for them and to teach them how this flesh and blood resurrected Jesus in front of them is the fulfillment of all of God's work of salvation throughout the ages. In the early church, you know, back when everybody was still trying to make sense of all of this, as though we've really made sense of it, there were some in the church that said the, the things that happened, that Jesus only appeared to be human. They could not hold the tension of the idea of Jesus being fully human and fully divine. But the church figured out pretty quickly that that's a dangerous path. To make Jesus only a God means that the very flesh and blood of creation has not been redeemed. And if flesh and blood of creation has not been redeemed and restored to God, then the scriptures are not yet fulfilled. So Luke gives us a story and gives us the proof that Jesus was human, that even while he was teacher and Lord, he was also servant and friend, and that when death was defeated, it was a complete and utter defeat not a half-hearted spiritual freedom, but complete freedom in body and mind and soul and the beginning of our new creation. Now, just like the disciples, we might sit here and go, well, what are we supposed to do with a curious story about Jesus who shows up and asks for something to eat and eats some fish? What does this proof mean for us? Well, for the disciples, it was clear they were to be witnesses to what that they had seen and heard and felt and touched. Our reading from Acts, Peter testifies, and he testifies and says that the disciples are witnesses and that they can witness to the fact that the God of our ancestors was glorified in Jesus, who was rejected by this world and killed but that whom that same God raised from the dead. They bore witness to the life of Christ and his death and his resurrection. Right after our scene this morning from Luke, Jesus would lead his disciples to Bethany just out of town and he would bless them and he would ascend to the Father. And in Luke, there's no great commission or sending out. That actually comes right at the end of the scene that we have this morning when Jesus tells his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. 
Note, it's not an invitation. It's not an option. All of those disciples that had experienced these things were now witnesses, and it was up to them to figure out what to do with it. They could have stayed scared in an upper room, and no one would probably have believed. But fortunately for us, they went out into the world filled with the Spirit and bore witness that our Lord and Savior is risen and fully alive. And by traveling and preaching and teaching, they set the world on fire with God's love. Each person that experiences the risen Jesus through the disciples in turn becomes another witness. It's like a chain reaction. On the internet, we talk about it going, something going viral where one person sees it and shares it, and then next thing you know, 10 people have seen it, 100, 1,000, 10,000. That was what was happening with the disciples as they traveled around the first century. Again, each person that experienced the risen Jesus became a witness. It was not a choice or an option, but it was because their very existence had changed by an encounter with the living God. So, you, each one of you, here today, are now also witnesses. We come here every Sunday morning, not just because the music is nice, not just because we like to sit next to each other in the pews. We come here to find and experience the living Christ. We do this because we are a family that is church, and in being church, we are Jesus. We do this through the reading of scripture and singing and preaching and breaking bread and giving thanks and sharing wine. We don't come here to find some distant, unmoving God captured in stone looking down on us. We come here to find God Emmanuel, God with us. God that offers us new life. And just like the disciples and all those before us, we are now witnesses. It's not optional. It's not an invitation. I remember growing up when we would get sent off on a school trip or something like that, some adult along the way would remind us not to make our parents ashamed by our behavior. And I bore a particularly heavy burden, because you may not know this, but Hudlow is an unusual name. As a matter of fact, there's only five of us in the state of Alabama. Nope, that's wrong. Four of us in the, no, he got married. Five of us in the state of Alabama. My parents, myself, and like a third cousin once removed who got married last year that I believe lives in Birmingham, though I've never met him. But that's it. If you Google search me, you can find just about everything I've done since the internet got created because there's just not many Hudlows in the world. 
And growing up in Mobile, Alabama, while it's kind of a big city, it's like a lot of southern big cities, it's small enough that people know who your parents are. And particularly when your mother is the high school German teacher at the largest high school in town, they really know who your parents are. And so I knew when I left the house every day, even if I wasn't feeling it, that if people knew my name, that I was bearing witness to what kind of family I came from. I couldn't hide over there with the Smiths and Joneses and act a fool because people would know who to call. There was only one of us in the phone book. This is back when there were phone books. We were pretty easy to find. We as Christians share that same responsibility. We don't get to hide in just a mass of people with sort of some loosey-goosey kind of faith. When we go out into the world, either because we wear a cross around our neck, or if you're like me and you have a cross tattooed on your wrist, or if you tell people that you're a Christian or they know you come to this church, you are bearing witness. It can be a good one or a bad one. I can tell you the world is filled right now with maybe some Christians we wish might be a little bit quieter. When we leave this place, when you leave here today, if you walk out of those doors, having experienced the living Christ, but don't live like you've been changed, you're still bearing witness to your family and where you came from. We can go out there and can enter the world of death and sin and darkness and choose to live by those rules because it's a lot easier. We can give in to a me first or me only way of thinking and jump right in and engage in violence, violence of action and words and greed that this world calls us to. Or we can leave this place filled up with the grace of God and the Holy Spirit and can enter a world that is in darkness and can suddenly shine a light. We can live into the life of the Spirit and into a life where we really believe that resurrection happens and is happening and will keep right on happening. We can meet violence with peace and love of the risen Christ. We can meet injustice with the courage to stand up and proclaim God's justice. We must leave this place and testify to our experiences of the living Christ and to invite everyone to join us. Because whether we're doing it or not, we are forever changed in our witnesses to Jesus Christ. My hope is that where the world sees hopelessness and death, when they meet one of you, they can suddenly experience the light and hope and love of Jesus Christ. 
So this morning, on this third Sunday of Easter, I forgot to say that at the beginning, Easter's 50 days, we're still right in the middle of it. It's time to realize whether you want to be or not, you are a witness for Jesus Christ. And it's time to decide if you really believe all of this stuff that we've been saying. Do you believe in the transformative grace of Jesus Christ? Somebody's phoning in. They do. <laughs> do you believe that we have been saved from suffering and death? These are the promises and what we say happens in baptism. Do you really believe that evil has been defeated? That's the hard one. That God's justice is breaking into the world. Do you believe and know that you are loved from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, and that you have been saved through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you believe it, live like it. Because whether you want to or not, you are witnesses of these things. Amen.